Good morning and good coffee, listeners. We are continuing on today at the top of page 39 in The Curious Reese's Guide to Coffee by Tristan Stevenson. Decaffeination. I must confess to being something of a caffeine evangelist, and those that have dared to order decaffeinated coffee from me in the past have often received it garnished with a smile of questionable sincerity. It is perhaps a little unfair of me to have acted that way, but besides those choosing to avoid caffeine before bedtime, I have never found a good reason why anyone should choose to sacrifice the quality of their coffee by choosing to drink it decaf. Truthfully though, decaffeinated doesn't have to mean bad, it's just a fact of life that it generally is. Most baristas apply less care and attention to making decaffeinated espresso, and certainly most roasters consider its processing and packaging an afterthought. Indeed, the green coffee destined for decaffeination is, unsurprisingly, not normally of the highest standard, a fact that is later compensated for with a dark roast. Better quality decaffeinated coffee is becoming more available, however, made from fresh, good quality green beans and roasted in the correct manner. And in these rare examples, we find that flavor has not been compromised at all. Confirmation of this can now be found in top cafes, where we are also starting to see dedicated decaffeinated grinders alongside a regular espresso blend. The process. These days, decaffeination is still conducted before the coffee is roasted and generally removes 90-95% to of the caffeine from the product. Priority number one is to remove as much caffeine as possible from the coffee, while priority number two is to leave behind components of the bean that are necessary for flavor development during roasting. Today, the most sincere method of decaffeination is the solvents process, which has been used in one form or another since the early 20th century. These days, it involves either ethyl acetate, responsible for the pear drop confectionery aroma present in nail varnish remover and glue, or dichloromethane, a type of paint stripper that is also used as a flavor extractive medium. To rinse the caffeine out of steamed green beans, it takes around 10 hours, then the coffee is steamed again to remove any trace of the solvents. This method of decaffeination is a very efficient process, so efficient in fact that a great deal of bean character can be stripped away too. The Swiss water process is a little more gentle and involves first soaking the beans in water to open up their cell structure. The beans are then washed with a water-based liquid that also contains a concentrated extra extract of green coffee. The theory being that any positive attributes that are removed by the water are immediately replenished by the extract. The liquid is then charcoal filtered to remove the caffeine and subsequently recycled back around the coffee beans, sometimes multiple times. Finally, there's the CO2 or carbon dioxide process, also known as supercritical fluid extraction. Sounds exciting, no? Like the other methods, the coffee beans are first steamed or soaked in water to make them more porous. Following soaking or steaming, the coffee is soaked under very high pressure in liquid CO2. At this stage, the CO2 is in a supercritical state, meaning that its temperature states it should be a gas, but its pressure forces it to behave somewhere in between a gas and a liquid. The caffeine dissolves into the CO2 over a few hours, then the pressure in the system is reduced, allowing the CO2 to evaporate 
stripping the caffeine away from the beans in the process. On a final note, in 2008, a naturally caffeine-free species of coffee, Coffea sheriarana, was discovered in Cameroon, which could be a huge development. Instant coffee. Contrary to what you might think, instant coffee is made from real coffee. Granted, it generally tastes nothing like the real thing, but once upon a time, like any other coffee drink, it was a seed on a green tree. It's the arduous, inorganic process that instant coffee undergoes that strips away any hint of nuance that may or may not have once existed in what was most likely a poor and wretched coffee bean. A brewed cup of coffee is a delicate thing, its complex aromatics are fleeting, and its merits remain for only the briefest of moments. Once left to sit and wallow, a coffee loses much of its nuances, aromatics become muddy, generic and just plain clumsy. The advantages of instant coffee are undeniable though. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where coffee could be prepared by simply pouring hot water over coffee-flavored granules only to be rewarded with a balanced, full-bodied and fruity cup. The coffee would always be consistent, foolproof to prepare, easy to adjust according to strength, preferences, and it would never go stale, not to mention the fact that it would take up much less space in the kitchen. That, no doubt, was the plan when David Strang launched Strang's Coffee, the first soluble coffee granule back in 1890. Strang used a dry, hot air method to evaporate the moisture out of brewed coffee, leaving behind a crusty coffee residue that could be broken up into mostly soluble nuggets. Who knows what it tasted like? Indeed, there's a good chance it was terrible, but the idea was ingenious, and it prompted other companies to seek new and convenient ways to brew coffee in the home. One such product was George Constant Washington's Red E Coffee. See what he did there? Which launched in 1910 and dominated the market until the arrival of Nescafe. Perhaps the biggest name in instant coffee, Nescafe was launched in 1938, after the Brazilian government approached the Nestle Food Company, seeking a solution for its huge surplus of coffee beans. The product itself was a combination of sugar and dried coffee residue and was an immediate success, thanks largely to World War II, as it became a hit with the military for its longevity and convenience. After the war, it became a staple product in kitchen cupboards around the world. At the height of its popularity in the 1970s, over one-third of all the coffee imported into the USA was being turned into instant. Thank you for listening, and we'll continue on next morning at the top of page 42. Good coffee and good books, friends.